Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so we're back. We're back in the saddle doing another podcast. We sure are. It's been a little while. We uh, haven't posted any for a little while. We you know, apologize for that. But uh, we've been very busy. We uh, got a new puppy. We did get a new puppy, a poodle puppy. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about Bob, our little co-pilot. Uh, he's having a little bit of a little... Uh, you know, crisis. He's kind of having a crisis with the new puppy. About one minute, it was really funny. We um, we brought her in for her her first grooming session. This place here, here in town called Bailey's, uh, and uh, she looked like a you know a little bit of a, a, a shaggy mess. Uh, and then they just really didn't do much because it was her first one. She's only like four weeks old, and she came back from the groomer um, with a nice blowout. You know, she got her hair done. And Bob was all interested in, her name is Vivi, Vivian, uh, one of my relatives. Bob's named after my dad. And uh, Vivi, our new poodle, is named after another relative. Um, she was technically my great aunt, but more like my grandmother. So it's Bob and Vivi. And she came back from that uh, groomer uh, grooming session. And Bob was, you know, he was very, he changed his tune about Vivi very quickly. Yeah, he went from being annoyed, when is she going to go back home, to he can't be separated from her. So it's really it's really sweet. And I think, hey, it's summertime, we're enjoying the weather, playing with the new, new puppy, with the dog, and spending time outside. And we went and saw your family reunion in Wisconsin. So it's, it's been a little bit busy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we've, uh, you know, we've, we've, and not to mention still. Good busy. Yeah, yeah, busy. Uh, yeah a good mm-hmm. busy, yeah. Uh, now we're, uh, we, I, I know we, I had some other podcasts we mentioned. Uh, we're in the process of trying to publish this book uh, about perimenopause. It's called the Perimenopause Plan. Uh, from this posting of this episode, it should be um, like it's like days away from being published. We're just uh, working on a couple of the website details, and there's a lot more things that went into it than we realized, and we didn't understand necessarily because we're doing it all of ourselves. Uh, for the most part, we're kind of you know for the most part self-publishing it. Uh, we didn't realize how many pieces, uh, how many steps there are to that. We we're maybe a little naive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as with everything, right, I think this is one thing when you're in business, you realize that things always take longer than you anticipate them in the beginning. So anytime you buy a book off of Amazon, kudos to all of them because it did take a while. But hey, you know what? It's always a learning process. So I, I'm excited. So the book will be out on Amazon. We'll also have it on our website too. And because it's about perimenopause, we wanted to answer a question um, from a looks like a reader from one of our blog posts about perimenopause. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the 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 title of the if you want to look it up, the title of this particular blog post, which I I actually remember when you wrote it, uh, the title is "Why is perimenopause so horrible?" Uh, which I think is just a uh, not laughing necessarily why that perimenopause is horrible, but you know we understand that fundamentally because we you know. We talk to women all the time that 
they say the same thing. You know, why is perimenopause so horrible? Even though at the time, maybe a little bit more now, but when we started um, helping women in their 40s, that's really what perimenopause is. Women in their 40s, they didn't really know what to call it, right? They just like, oh my God, my body is not cooperating anymore and I have all these things going on uh, and no one can help them, right? So that's uh, why we started without even realizing it, we were kind of seeing more and more of those. Because I remember we've said before, like when you first got into practice, it was all menopause. Uh, so women, they're basically in their, you know, in their 50s. Uh, and now it's shifted down a decade or two. Um, now it's women between their mid 30s and, and, you know, even to their mid 60s. It's, you know, it's encompassing the, the PMS, the perimenopause and the menopausal, postmenopausal. But really lately, it's been a lot of tremendously uh, a lot of those perimenopausal women. And that's kind of why we wanted to talk about it. And I, um, you know, and also why we put out that book about perimenopause, we're going to do another one about menopause, probably on thyroid and a few different other conditions that we love to treat. But there is a definitive distinction between being in perimenopause and being in menopause. So they aren't all lumped in one. And that was probably what kind of spurred a lot of this impetus is I had so many women coming into me after starting practice, you know, dealing with menopause and women would come in saying they want to deal with their menopause. And I'm like, you know, you're 44 years old and still having a period. You're not in menopause. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They just had the, you know, probably from their other doctors, their doctors would tell them they're in menopause. We've heard so many different things of what your other practitioners tell them. The practitioners didn't even have a word perimenopause, right? They're kind of misinterpreting some of the lab work and not understanding the symptoms in there. And really at the end of the day, the treatment options is where everything falls off. Whether you have a name for it or not, uh, you know, or a diagnosis or not, it's really what happens uh, on the treatment side and how you're going to deal with some of those issues. So uh, this is from MW. She didn't leave her actual name or nothing, which we... That's okay. We always change them anyway. (laughs) uh, Which we certainly understand. Um, But why don't you go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and read the question? Okay. So this question is... um I see nothing on here. So this is about a blog post, like Dr. Mackey had said on, that I'd written called, Why is Perimenopause So Horrible? So this is a response to that blog post. And she's writing, I see nothing on here about breast size increase, swelling, and pain. I am 46 years old and a 34A, which was really cute because I had to explain to Dr. Mackey what A, B, and C sizes mean in bras. You you did not. (laughs) You did not. said you don't understand what that Uh, means as much as I do. Okay, I'm not a woman. I I said that. You didn't have to explain it to me. I said you would know that better than I would. Okay, I'm not a complete idiot. (laughs) Hey, you know, when you're 13 years old and you get your first bra, we learn all about A, B, C, and, 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 you know, woefully would love to have a D. But okay, I'm going to go back on. So I am 46 years old and a 34A. Now, now I'm a 34 BC. My breast hurt at least two weeks out of the month, swollen, heavy, painful, have to take ibuprofen. It's annoying as hell. And it's changed how I view my body. Not to mention my midsection has changed too. I never wanted large breasts. I know BC cup is not large, but it is to me. And now I need to wear two sports bras to run. And I like to run all the time. And I feel like I did when I was nursing. This totally stinks. Does it get better? Yeah, right. So uh, this is why this was a comment on why is perimenopausal horrible? Because these are the, you know, the types of questions and concerns that, you know, we get on a regular basis. Uh, so why don't we just kind of dive into it? There's kind of a lot going on there, but why don't we kind of just dive into, you know, the, you know, her discomfort, you know, two weeks of the month. 
And, and, and truly, um, when I wrote that blog post, I mean, I could write for days on perimenopause, which I kind of did when the book comes out and you read it, but it's, um, I didn't put a lot in there about the, the breast increase. I think, um, and it is important because a lot of women do get, you know, swollen breasts. And like she said, she's always been, you know, she's 46 years old. She's always been a 34A. So this change to go up, you know, a plus a cup and a, you know, almost a, almost two cup sizes, that's a lot. And it's not that, and a lot of it is inflammation and water weight, which can be really uncomfortable. And when they're saying two weeks out of the month, so usually now we're going to kind of, you know, play around with this a little bit is that two weeks is probably two weeks before her period. Yeah, right. So um, without her actually specifying, you know, so if we broke down her cycle into a 28, 30 day cycle, right? So there's uh, the first 14 days or the first 13 days, and then there's the second uh, uh, 14 days. Uh, So more than likely, if we asked her a few more clarifying questions uh, from ovulation if she's still ovulating, which she might be at 46, may or may not be, uh, it's the second half of her cycle, which is predominantly usually, you know, from ovulation to her period is what's called the luteal phase. So usually in that last two weeks, when you're in your 40s, and that's that perimenopause, um, so menopause is, you know, the hormones have, have ceased, have really dropped, that estrogen and progesterone are, you know, almost non-existent, where in perimenopause, you see a lot of different patterns that can happen most typically, which is probably happening with M here, is that that progesterone is too low for the amount of estrogen she's making for the last half of the cycle. So then that would exacerbate quote unquote PMS symptoms. One in particular is that breast size. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And, you know, perimenopause, like what is, like if you had to, if someone nailed you down and was asking you for a definition of perimenopause, let's just start there. I know know we've talked about this before, but we haven't done any podcasting. We've got a book coming out. So what would be your kind of, um, you know, your kind of off the wall, you know, off the cuff kind of definition of perimenopause? It would be definitely an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone production. Okay. So what do you mean by an imbalance? What does that mean? You, like you had mentioned, so the estrogen, you know, estrogen is an awesome hormone and it's being secreted by your ovaries and it, you know, when you're on your period, all your hormones are low. So estrogen and progesterone, I would say your estrogen and progesterone are low. So that's what causes the lining of the uterus to shed. But then that estrogen will start to come up and come up, peak on day 12, and then you ovulate and then you make progesterone usually from about day 14 to day 28, if we're looking at a perfect 28 day cycle. So what you end up Which seeing- Which is a chapter in the book, by the way. Yes, yes. And not everybody's perfectly 28 days and that's okay. But if you're looking at a perfect 28 day cycle, estrogen surges on day 12, we have progesterone start to come up on day 14, and then progesterone, the height of progesterone would be right about day 21, and then all, if there's no fertilization or pregnancy, then the hormones come down, and then back to day 28, day one, you get a period. So between that day 14 and day 28, the last two weeks, as M, M is talking about here, is that production of progesterone is not sufficient, but in perimenopause, we're still make an estrogen. We might make a little less, we might make a little bit more, we might make exactly what we need to make, but it's really about what is that progesterone doing? And so you think if you have a good amount of estrogen, which like I said, estrogen's one of the best hormones in the world, is if you have a good amount of estrogen, but you don't have that balancing effect of the progesterone, it is going to put you in an estrogen dominant or what would be considered a progesterone insufficient 
um, balance. So that's why you see a lot so, of... Sim- so you said two things there. So um, it really is more progesterone deficiency or insufficiency, but it presents like estrogen dominance. Exactly. So you think you've got... Um, you know, just like you think salt and pepper, if you had to have that balance when you put it on your food, if you have too much salt, it's too salty. If you have, if you have too less pepper, sometimes it tastes too salty because you don't have the pepper to balance out the salt. Yeah. It's kind of like, or, or like even with like with salad, like oil and vinegar, mm-hmm. you have that balance yeah. between those yeah, two. You, yeah, yeah, right. If you have okay. a lack of one, the other one presents itself more acutely, even though the level is probably fine. It's just the other balancing factor to it. Yeah. So we could base just based on what, what you described there, which I, I knew that, but I was just kind of setting you up just so you could actually articulate it. <laughs> um, but really, then we could say if she is having these symptoms that didn't show up before, we could assume that she's probably not ovulating anymore because ovulation is what creates the progesterone production. She's not ovulating. She's not creating progesterone. And now she has these symptoms she's never had before. Exactly. So there's probably a part of that. Now, I know, um, of, you know, I don't want to you know, I feel like I like want to jump in the deep end right away, but I understand trying to explain this to everybody. So also too, when you hit that perimenopausal phase and Hey, we've got this imbalance a little bit with the hormones. Sometimes our bodies become a little bit more sensitive to other things in, in our environment or what we ingest or what we're around or stress because the or adrenals. How much, or how much we're running on a weekly basis. Well, I like to run. And honestly, I wear two sports bras too, because I don't like bounce. Yeah. Right. No, <laughs> I know that you've, I've known you've always, you've, uh, you've always, what is your cup size? I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm about what she is now that, you know, about, you know, about a 34, 36 BC. BC. Okay. I thought you were like a C. No, I'm more like a BC. Oh, okay. I would love to be a big C. <laughs> Maybe a D. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa. No, that might be fun. Uh, uh, but, you know, I. Okay. So I thought, of, I, okay. So you say that, see, even though I, you know, that's how much I, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't like know. I thought. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were a C and you're saying like a BC. So I didn't understand. And I will tell you all the ladies listening to me know if you go to shop at one store versus another store and you buy this bra, that bra, this bra, sometimes they're different. Yeah, which makes no sense. How, how can they not be the it's same? It's like gene sizes, you know, yeah, yeah, Are yeah, you yeah, perfect yeah, seven, yeah. a perfect three, a perfect nine, a perfect 12. I mean, it's all, you know, yeah, yeah. anyway, we won't go into sizes, but what I was mentioning is things that you're exposing themselves, whether it's stress or food. And I'm, and I do think when you go into perimenopause, you know, Hey, you know, we're in their forties, things change that she could be ultra sensitive to caffeine now that she wasn't 10 years ago. Cause caffeine will create fibrocystic density in the breast tissue. And some people are more sensitive to it than others. And it can cause sore breasts. Mm-hmm. And now she says, Chocolate can do that she too. says she's not happy because of the running. She says in parentheses in her question that she runs all the time. The reason why I kind of picked on that part is because, uh, that, that type of stress on a regular basis, running exercise in general of any sort is another stressor for the body. Um, in, in some ways that is actually putting more pressure on her adrenals, which is further dropping her progesterone production because her body is increasing cortisol production because of the running, you know, the proverbial runner's high is really nothing more than an increase in cortisol, right? A lot of women, the only time they feel good is either when they're running or right after they're running, depending on how many miles per week. Uh, so now she also mentions in there, the midsection that she's never had before. Okay. That is basically cortisol redistributed body fat deposition. Okay. Uh, it was a big mouthful right there. Uh, women normally put weight on the hips and thighs. 
They are not prone to put weight around the midsection uh, unless there is uh, maybe an overproduction of cortisol for some reason. Uh, so again, we have a short little section on this in the book as well, because this is something that we see over and over and over. Uh, we're speculating here. We don't really know much about her life other than she likes to run a lot. But if does she have kids? Is she working full time? How many miles a week is she actually running? How well does she sleep? What is her overall stress burden on a weekly basis? Um, all those things matter, and it's going to translate. The more stress she has, a lack of sleep, a busy family life, a demanding job, plus excessive running, and I think excessive, what would you consider in a seven-day week, what would you consider to be excessive running in this context? You know, everybody's different. I, You know, that's really hard, really hard to put a point down to. Some people, I, I have some patients that love to run five miles a day in my jaw drops because I can maybe do three and then, you know, feel pretty good after that. And maybe not every day. Some people want to run every day. Like you said, it really depends on those, you know, the symptoms. If they're getting good sleep, they're getting good nutrition, they're not skipping meals, they're not super stressed and they're running every day and they still feel pretty good and they don't have any of these issues, then maybe that's all right for them. Yeah, right. You're right. That is a little bit of an unfair question. I think somewhere between three to four days a week at the maximum, uh, I think is reasonable. Because I think humans, especially in our country, do need to be more active. Granted, there is only 24 hours in the day, so I get it when you can't fit it in. But um, I love that she's trying to be active. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, certainly uh, we can't discourage, especially in the country nowadays, you can't discourage anybody from exercising. Um, Maybe, like you said, more people probably could be a little bit more active. But there's also a limit. There's a point where a good thing becomes maybe not so much of a good thing, uh, you know, and uh, this is something that we see quite often where there's, there's uh, running all the time means she's probably doing it five to seven days, you know, five to six days a week. Well, you mentioned, so just to try to clarify a little bit that the running doing a little bit too much, or you might be pushing it too much is going to raise the cortisol. Yes. And then you had also said a little bit other things that raise the cortisol. Yes, yeah, uh, stress, lack of sleep, or just stress in general, lack of sleep, family, job, you know, all the demands. Skipping and, meals. Uh, uh, and that's the other one too, is, uh, and maybe uh, a way to balance out the running is there has to be a commensurate increase in caloric intake so that way recovery can happen on a regular basis. Uh, so if you're going to be an athlete, if you're going to run all the time or exercise all the time, the calories have to be, uh, you know, have to be, uh, adequate enough. And believe me, this is another thing we're going to do a whole podcast and probably a series of podcasts on how common it is for women to be under eating as a way to achieve their weight loss goals. Uh, and there, a lot of them are under eating anywhere from 500 to a thousand calories, if not more on a daily basis, that puts a tremendous amount of pressure and stress on the adrenals. And it manifests as female hormone related problems. And I do, you know, on a separate topic, I do notice that nowadays, you know, hey, it's 2021, that finally you're seeing a lot more, um, you know, things in the media from other doctors, from, you know, experts, whatnot, saying that we need to eat. Because I remember, you know, in the 90s, you know, eat less and exercise more. That was how to, you know, or maybe just skip eating. And, you know, that was how you were supposed to lose weight. And that doesn't work long term. So I do love now in this day and age, you do see people advocating like, hey, we got to eat. Like I had a patient that's pregnant and she's asking me how many calories can I take or can I reduce my calories so I don't gain weight? I'm like, you're pregnant. Yeah, right. You're like, eating, for, you're eating for two, mm-hmm. you know, you need more calories. We're so focused on that whole, you know, caloric intake and reducing that I love that you're saying like, Hey, we, if you're going to exercise, which I'm sure M loves it, 
you got to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really counterintuitive to think that in order to lose weight, to get your body to change that you, the way you want, you actually need more food as opposed to less food. Now it makes perfect sense. And I can see logically why if you just exercise more and eat less, that that is going to make it work. Okay. But that is only uh, the very kind of superficial logic that turns a very complex system like the human body with all the hormones and all these sensory inputs into basically a math equation. Okay. The math equation on paper works, but it does not work in the real world. And especially after the age of 40, um, for both men and women, um, that math equation works when you're 25, eat less, eat a little bit less and drink a little bit more coffee, maybe have a couple of cigarettes every once in a while, <laughs> and then exercise a bunch and your body will just do whatever you want, right? Because that's what, you know, that's what women tell, tell us both mm-hmm. all the time. But when you're in your mid forties and beyond, it doesn't work that way. You know, so your whole strategy needs to be different uh, in order to get your body to cooperate the way you want it to. So she's, uh, you know, and I can see, certainly see why she would never correlate the running to contributing to her symptoms. She would never understand that. Okay. And even her gynecologist would never even understand that. But like you said about that cortisol is when you're, when your hormones, you know, Hey, they always say, well, I'm getting older. And doctors will say that, oh, well, you're getting older. Is your metabolism going to slow down? So, you know, it is what it is. Just deal that's, with it. That's ridiculous. It, I, I totally agree. But you think about those female hormones, especially that progesterone, does have an effect to buffer some of those adrenal stressors, like the cortisol, which is why when you're 25 years old, you can, you know, drink milkshakes and stay thin or exercise and eat a little less and lose, you know, five pounds overnight. But you can't do that when you're 45 years old because you don't, the female hormones have readjusted themselves in a way that can't buffer that stress anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's really at the end of the day when a woman is actually, so in a case like this, right, you know, we're talking progesterone or a lack thereof, you said progesterone insufficiency. And then there's some cortisol manifestation happening Mm -hmm. that's probably a little higher than it might have even been when she was in her 30s. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, and and maybe there's not necessarily more cortisol. There's just, like you said, there's less of a buffer between the female hormones. And that may be just our own way to explain it. May That may not be actually physiologically you know, true. We're just kind of talking in layman's terms here. Um, but it sure, uh, it sure seems that way, right? That once the female hormones disappear uh, and they flatline, which is what menopause happens, there's no more peaks uh, and valleys. It's just a basically a flat baseline. Uh, that's when all these things seem to be magnified. Uh, woman's up until her 40s, everything's going well. And all of a sudden now her stress goes up, everything else. Now the female hormones just start declining and her body starts not cooperating anymore, right? And they're completely kind of dumbfounded as to what's going on. Uh, you know, so uh, this is a, the reason why I picked this one out be, just because I thought it it's broad enough, but it's also something we see very repetitively, even though she's talking specifically about her breast size, uh, there's so many nuances to that as to, you know, how to, you know, in a very quote unquote holistic sort of way, uh, you know, check in with her sleep, see what her stress level is, how many miles a week is she running? What is her caloric intake? A little bit of progesterone, uh, you know, bioidentical progesterone could be very helpful. Uh, maybe even a little, you know, uh, dim or something like that to tone down some of the estrogen. Maybe uh, that might not be appropriate, um, but it certainly could be in a case like this. Uh, you know, that is, you know, it's not just let's take a pill or let's go on birth control and be done with it, right? That doesn't work. The it, last thing a 46-year-old one wants to, woman wants to be on is birth control or pills. Or should be and on I, I, is I birth agree. Control. I yeah. agree. So, yeah. But I will have to say, um, 
like I said, perimenopause, and that's why we wanted to talk about this is I didn't write too much about the breast tenderness in the, in the blog. And I'm glad that M kind of called me out for it, but the, um, but I did want to say perimenopause is different from menopause. Cause yeah, she's noticing a change in breast size because of the hormonal imbalance. That's, and I wouldn't call it an imbalance. It's natural. It happens in your forties, but there is an imbalance between the estrogen and progesterone. But once you hit menopause and those ovaries have decided we're in full retirement, we're not working anymore, we're not making any estrogen, any progesterone, you actually see a lot of women lose about a cup, a half a cup to a full cup size of, you know, from the breast tissue because estrogen is what can pretty much grow that breast tissue. That's why when you, as a, you know, go through puberty, you start to grow breasts. And that's, um, so when you see those hormones cease to be produced from the ovaries, you will see a reduction. And then when we do you know, some hormone replacement, if, if that's warranted for them and that's okay for their personal um, history, you do see, see it grow back. They get, but it doesn't grow back bigger than it was before because that would be too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, you're right. The breast is a, a very, as we, as women all know, as you know, practitioners understand, you know, the breast tissue is a very hormone sensitive tissue. So of course it's going to respond, um, you know, usually in a good way, you know, at least when we're, you know, in charge of something, but in a case like this, it kind of goes a little bit right because of that like I said, that teeter-totter, the balance between the estrogen and progesterone, it's not necessarily that the estrogen is necessarily too high. It's just too high in relationship to the lack of progesterone, at least in this case. It could be different in other cases, Possibly. But at and, least in this case. And we're in some ways speculating, but we've seen this so many times over. But we do do a lot of lab work to correlate, or I don't even know if we're correlate or justify or whatnot, to put that symptomatic picture of a 46-year-old female that likes to run who has breast tenderness for two weeks out of the month, we do do blood work to make sure that that coincides together. So like you said, we'd probably do some labs with M, um, maybe some bioidentical progesterone if warranted or that works out, or maybe you would start a little bit lower on balancing those you know, those hormones with lifestyle, with other supplementation like herbs or vitamins or minerals. There's, that's the cool thing about all of this, you know, is there's so much stuff we can do. Yeah, but that's also the confusing part is because there's not really one way to do it, right? Even with a functional medicine, natural medicine, uh, integrative medicine, whatever, that's part of the problem is not, it's not a one size. Now that's the best part. It's not a one size fits all uh, because we're not, you know, we're not like, you know, we don't practice cookie cutter medicine. We shouldn't be practicing cookie cutter medicine where everybody gets the same treatment. Uh, so from a conventional standpoint, that's why women are reaching out to us and doctors like us because they just keep getting told no, or there's no treatment or there's nothing you can do or the options they are given antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication and birth control. It doesn't, it's not helpful, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't help, but that's the only options that are, you know, that are offered to them, you know, and, uh, that's why, uh, you know, uh, we have a bunch of comments, uh, you know, on the website that we, you know, that we are still pending. Uh, one thing about that, if you are going to write in a question on the website, uh, you know, either through the email help at progressionhealth.com, or if you post a comment right on the website, uh, because we do like to, um, we got into a, didn't realize this at first, and I've been realizing it right now. If you put your name on there and then we publish the comment, uh, then could be a little bit of a privacy issue. So you might want to use either initials like in this case uh, or a fake name or something. So that way it just, you know, if we do publish your comment on, on the website so other people can read what we wrote or at least referring, we might not be able to write on every single one, but at least point you to the episode that answers your question, 
now no one gets to see your name. Um, that's, to be honest, part of the reason why we haven't published some of the comments uh, because their name's on there and I don't want other people to see their name when they're asking, uh, you know, some of these things. I mean, she's talking about her, you know, cup size and it hurts. And I mean, that's kind of a female specific issue. Not everybody needs to see that uh, or know who actually wrote it. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, something to think about if you decide you want to, you know, re, um, you know, we love the comments. We love the questions. We love to be able to facilitate in that way, but we certainly want to keep a certain level of end anonymity for everybody so it's not you know we're not airing it all out there for the world to read exactly which is why you know m's mentioning this and when i read that i was like oh yeah you know gosh there's so many symptoms in perimenopause i didn't put that in that blog maybe i need to you know, readjust the blog or something but if she's having these symptoms just like we said before lots of other people are having the same symptoms so it's nice to i don't know what the word is but just when someone you know feel that validation that you're not alone or that there's options or that, you know, we can learn from each other. So we do really appreciate the comments. Yeah. And one little other little side note about breast tenderness in general, because we talked about the, uh, the breast does of course have a lot of estrogen progesterone receptors. It also has ironically a lot of iodine receptors. You know, iodine, we should do a whole nother episode about iodine. I know, right. I know, I know we've done some of those in the past. A uh, couple things to think about evening primrose oil, number one, um, that can be a nice anti inflammatory to help kind of reduce some of the tenderness. But iodine, specifically for breast tenderness, can be very helpful. However, a little caveat to that. Um, there's a lot of uh, supplements on the market that have these huge mega doses of iodine. We're talking six, 12, 25, 50 milligrams of iodine. Now, be very careful with those types of doses because in most cases, if you have a normal functioning thyroid and you take those big mega doses, um, you're going to create some thyroid suppression uh, and that might, you know, that might count contradict what you're trying to accomplish. Because yes, I've, we have noticed when you do high doses of iodine, it can suppress the thyroid. If you do even kind of like lower doses of iodine, it can make the thyroid go up. I mean, everybody is a little different. So whenever we use something that might have another effect downstream on another organ or maybe have another you know, possible side effect, then we test for it. Hey, you know what? You test for iodine and it's through the roof. Um, it's not something you want to take. Yeah. Oh, we've seen it many times. You take iodine and these kind of mega doses. Uh, there's a few products out there that have these really high doses. Those we usually use for hyperthyroid situations. That is a very small percentage of all the thyroid problems. Most people are having hypothyroid problems and and the last thing you want to do, if you take iodine, is too much your TSH increases um, as opposed to in hyperthyroid, your TSH goes down. Uh, so uh, the RDA for iodine is 150 micrograms. Um, you know, in a situation like this, you don't need a lot uh, to actually have an impact on something like this. And we mentioned about, you know, the caffeine intake, that she might be extra sensitive to caffeine, that she might just want to cut that out and all other sources of the caffeine yeah, which can also be a little challenging to do, right? You know, people love their coffee or, you know, love their, uh, you know, love their mm -hmm. chocolate and stuff. But, but, um, but yeah. Um, something to think about. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's why I thought this was a good one to discuss because even though it's very, it's very much about uh, her breast size and, you know, it's painful, um, there's a few other things in there that, you know, allow us to kind of elaborate and really kind of paint a picture of what's really going on there, even though we know very little about, you know, M. Uh, you know, so hopefully that was helpful. Uh, do you have uh, anything else to add about that one? No, no. I, yeah, hopefully that was helpful in the context of perimenopause. Like you said, we could go on and on and on and, you know, 
lab testing, screenings, ultrasounds, well, all that. But we have a lot more episodes. We yeah. have a lot more episodes <laughs> to come. We can't do it all in one episode. Uh, so you might be hearing a lot over the next to several episodes about perimenopause. But we're going to try to keep it broad enough uh, so other people can listen uh, and kind of delve into some of the thyroid stuff and some of the adrenal stuff, even in, into some of the uh, menopausal stuff because it's all. You know, it's all related. And a lot of those women that are in perimenopause are going to be soon enough into <laughs> menopause. Uh, you know, so we'll try to keep it relevant, but yet, uh, you know, cover enough bases so everyone finds some value. Uh, so I mentioned it just a minute ago, help at progressionhealth.com. You can send us emails. Uh, you may or may not get a response, um, but we, you know, please send them in. You know, we do kind of run through them, kind of pick and choose what emails, uh, what questions are going to be read. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to do that. We try to facilitate as many as we can. Uh, it is a little challenging. We do get a lot of them. Uh, and uh, the book, uh, the, it's called The Perimenopause Plan. Uh, it will be published uh, from this, from the posting of this episode. Probably it's either already been published, that'd be nice, um, or it's going to be published within a few days of this episode airing. So uh, pay attention to that. Uh, if you're not on our email, uh, go to our website. There's a little uh, video course you can sign up for, uh, and that'll give you updates on uh, on different things like that. So Uh, Until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.